Google um, has not yet figured out how to read audio or visual content. It's working on it. It'll get there. Um, but for the moment, again, if you're showing up in those searches, if that's your goal, you need the text so Google can figure out what you're all about. That can absolutely go hand in hand with videos. You've got those descriptions up there. You and I were talking before we started recording about um, recording. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I feel like I should point to the camera sometimes. Um, we are talking marketing today. We're going to do a little bit of a pivot from talking about real estate investors because we're talking about growing our businesses. And we've brought on an amazing content writer who specializes in SEO and works in the real estate field. Allison, I just asked you how to pronounce your last name and I forgot. It's Say it again. Verhalen. Verhalen. Oh my God. Like I literally watched your videos beforehand too. And I like had a mental block, but <laughs> Allison, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Rory Gill, next from Tileton Real Estate and Urban Village Legal. Thank you also for joining us. Hey, Jason and Allison. Allison is here. Uh, you're in Chicago, right? I am. Are you in the city? I am in Oak Park, which is just outside of the city. If you're in the city and you go West, as soon as you're outside the city limits, you're in Oak Park. Awesome. We've had a couple marketing episodes on over the past few months. And the, the very first one was with someone that we work with on our social media as well. And she's actually also in Chicago. It just occurred to me that she's mm -hmm. right out there. Maris Callahan, she works with a company called The Social Broker. And you should check them out afterward, Allison. Maybe you guys can connect and collaborate over some stuff. But Yeah, I'd um, love to. Allison uh, comes to us with an amazing writing background and she is an SEO expert. And we can't wait to dig into... Um, how we can be better with our websites uh, as real estate professionals and some amazing tips and tricks that she has. So with that, welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. So absolutely. T tell us about yourself. Like, how did you get involved with content writing? How did you get involved in working with websites looking to improve their SEO? And, and, and that's a great starting point. Yeah. So I completely fell into this. Uh, growing up, I always loved reading and writing. Thought I wanted to be a novelist was told that writers don't make any money and I should choose a more practical career. So I thought, okay, well, maybe if I can't make a living writing books, maybe I can make a living making books so I could go into publishing because I did not realize there is no money in publishing. <laughs> so majored in English and psychology, turned out to be the perfect degree for content marketing, even though I had no idea what content marketing was. Like I said, thought I wanted to work in publishing. Graduated in 2009 right after the job market crashed. So there were no jobs to be had in publishing or really anywhere else. So I was a receptionist. I was in customer service. They were jobs. They were not careers. Found myself between jobs at one point, and my roommate at the time, her dad, who was an, an attorney, was awesome and offered to give me stuff to do around his office until I got back on my feet. And one of the things he needed was someone to write blog posts for his law firm. And he knew I had a strong writing background, so he offered me the gig, and I was more than happy to get paid to write because that was the dream as far as I was concerned. So I jumped at that chance, and the rest is history. So why I'm excited to have you here today is because what we talk about is something that applies to pretty much any small business that we're into. Content creation and marketing is key. Before we kind of get into the 
the details about best practices, how to do it, you know, where content creation is going. I just want to start with the basic question. You know, why do small businesses need to have a good content marketing plan? So I think the number is something like 95% of people are using, they go straight to Google anytime they need something, whether it's they're actively looking for someone to fill, a, you know, whether they're looking for a product or service, or if they're just looking for information on something, they go to Google. And Google, there's a lot of components to SEO, but at the heart of it is content. Google needs to crawl your content and figure out what you're all about. And if there, if the content on your website is thin, if there's not a whole lot of it, if it's old content because you haven't published anything recently, you're not going to show up on those searches. So you are missing out on an opportunity to get people when they are looking for you, you're missing out on that opportunity to show up in those searches. There are a lot of benefits to content marketing, I think is number one. And number two is probably converting the people who find your website because they are going to find, they're going to spend some time exploring your website and seeing what you're all about before they reach out to you. They are going to go, especially in professional services industries like real estate, they're going to check out your blog before they reach out to you. So a lot's been said about video marketing these days, but you know, I know that the backbone of SEO from years past, decades past, has been blogs and writing content, you know, because you mentioned the word crawl. You imagine all these robots out there crawling. They used to call them spiders, right? Like they're crawling the internet, looking at the keywords and looking at the back end of your websites. It just all mm -hmm. kind of feels a little sci-fi, but I get what they're doing. They're trying to index the internet and see what's changed, what's new, what's popular. But I mentioned video because everyone's doing video these days, like on TikTok and Instagram and elsewhere. Video is a component of SEO, but you know, since you're a writer and SEO has a writing backbone, as I mentioned, you know, talk a little bit about those two things together. Like, you know, don't why is it a good idea not to completely abandon writing, you know, if you're like a huge influencer or doing a lot of great videos on Instagram and TikTok? Yeah, well, Google has not yet figured out how to read audio or visual content. It's working on it. It'll get there. But for the moment, again, if you're showing up in those searches, if that's your goal, you need the text so Google can figure out what you're all about. That can absolutely go hand in hand with videos. You've got those descriptions up there. You and I were talking before we started recording about recording and transcribing the audio from things like podcasts and videos and putting that up as a blog post. And I always recommend doing that a for seo purposes but b also so that you are getting your content in all of the places you've got your video up you've got your text up you people who want to read it can read it people who just want to watch the video or listen to the podcast can do that it's a great way to get the most out of your content so you're in all the places without having to reinvent the wheel and create five million different pieces of content that are totally unique from each other as far as video marketing, A, take advantage of the description because Google is going to crawl that headline, that description, looking for those keywords. So don't slack in that area. And if you are creating videos on YouTube, which you should be, don't forget that Google owns YouTube. So a lot of those how-to videos, there's a reason they show up in, in Google searches because Google owns YouTube. And if you've got that video optimized, then yeah, you're going to show up in those. Your video is going to show up in those searches. Yeah. We started this podcast as an audio only podcast a couple of years ago. We've mentioned this in numerous previous episodes and decided to go video 
when we relaunched it last year uh, for that purpose. We wanted to have a presence on YouTube. We knew that YouTube was owned by Google and wanted to make sure that our videos were appearing when people were searching. So we've been you know, judiciously building our YouTube channel as well with descriptions and using keywords and you know, just trying to do the best that we can with how we're describing each of the videos that we're posting. It seems to be working for the most part. Obviously, everything could be better. And you know, with SEO, you know how it is, Allison. Like, you don't know if it's going to work. You know, right? Like, you just you publish something, and then you know, you kind of watch to see if it starts drawing in visitors. There's a lot of tips you could do behind the scenes as well, like with an SEO program. But talk a little bit about the content that you recommend, like for real estate, for example. Let's just say we're working with a small brokerage in. Chicago or Boston, you know, where mm-hmm. we're sitting. What are some initial things that you'd recommend a, a brokerage do with their blog, with their descriptions to start to get some better visibility? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I do always recommend blogging. I know people don't always like to hear that because maintaining a blog is a lot of work and I'm not going to deny that it, it is a lot of work. There's, there's no two ways around that. It is so important for showing up in online searches because, again, Google looks at recent content. The newer it is, the more valuable it is perceived as being. So write regularly, publish regularly on your blog, have a plan for your blog. A lot of people know they need to be blogging and they put a blog post and they don't get results from it because they don't have a call to action or they they didn't think about where it was in the their overall buyer journey. So take all that into consideration before you start writing. Do you have strong landing pages? Do you know what call to, what action you want them to take once they're done reading the blog post? Is Does that call to action make sense for the topic you just covered in this blog post? Does it make sense for where they are in the buyer journey? Are they looking for a house right now or are they just kind of exploring the possibilities and window shopping, so to speak? So take all of that into consideration before you even start writing so that when you do write it and publish it, you've got your strategy laid out um, and activated so that people are actually, you are actually getting results from your blog. I think that's the biggest one that I recommend people take into consideration before they even start writing. So what are some good calls to action for professional services industries? I mean, learn more, sign up for our list. What are some good calls to action that you can pair with good content? Definitely build that email list. Uh, You want to be able to reach out to people and contact them. And you want to be able to continue to get in front of them, right? Because if they read a blog post and love it, and but they're not ready to buy yet, but that's your call to action is to buy, they're going to click away and you're going to lose them forever. Whereas if you ask them to subscribe to your newsletter and they're ready, they are they liked what they saw and they, they want to get more from them, that is an invitation into their inbox, which is like our last private place that we have online these days, right? Is that inbox. So that is a, a super important invitation. Do not let that go to waste, which is another thing. Then you have to actually email them, <laughs> which I know is more work on top of all the blogging you have to do. But again, it's all about staying top of mind so that when they are ready to buy, they think of you because they've been seeing all of this great content that you've been providing them with. So yeah, I usually go straight for subscribe to the newsletter and or follow us on social media so you can you can stay in touch with them. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today 
and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. I feel like there's a lot of people that, you know, build their plan and have all the great intention in the world to do A, B, C, D, and E, and then just life gets ahead of them and time catches up and work gets busy. Um, and then suddenly that email list uh, that you've built up doesn't get emails, you know, and then email newsletters aren't going out and blog content starts to diminish over time because, again, people just get busy. Do you have any suggestions as to how people can stay disciplined to make sure that they've committed to these plans that are all – it's like going to the doctor. We all know we should mm-hmm. be exercising and staying healthy, but not everyone does it. How can people stay a little more focused and committed to these plans where time is not limitless. Yeah, definitely have a schedule. Publish every week is really best. So have, you know, a day of the week, have a time where you are going to publish that new blog post, uh, come hell or high water, right? And and stick to that schedule. Treat it like anything else you do for work because a lot of the problems that people run into when they own their own business is they spend a lot of time marketing and then they get busy and they they don't market anymore. And then the work dries up because they weren't marketing their business. Whereas if you can find that balance where you are continually marketing while serving your clients, that's where you get that steady stream of income coming in. So definitely treat it like any client work, anything that is revenue producing for your business, because if it's working and you're following your plan, it should absolutely be revenue producing. Um, That said, I know we all have times where we get super busy. um, And I've had times like that where I I just don't have time to write a blog post this week. So Mm -hmm. I will dig into my archives. You can always take a blog post that's I tend to go a year or older. I guess you could go like six to nine months, but I, I tend to go older than a year. Um, pull out a blog post that has still been getting traction, still has some traffic. You can always take that blog post down and republish it and give it that new publication date just so you still have that fresh content going up on your website. Google will treat it just like a new piece of content. So that's absolutely something that I, I use to get the most out of out of my blog and make sure I'm constantly creating new content. And like I said before, if you're creating video or audio content, repurpose it, turn that into a blog post so that you've always got something. Then you're, again, not creating 5 million different pieces of content when you can just repurpose one piece. In our office, that's something I strongly encourage all of our agents to do. Whenever you take the time to put together a blog post or even a video, find other ways to break it down. Social media posts, email campaigns. You can kind of take all this stuff that you've taken that so much time to work on and use it across the board. I mean, do you have any other keys for repurposing content that that you've sat down and created? Yeah, I I think that's pretty much at the heart of it is, again, if you've got the video and the audio, use both. You can have, like you guys said, the video that then becomes a podcast that then becomes a blog post. So you're using it on all the different channels, social media. I recommend that as well. Definitely get it out on social media. That's a lot of how I share my blog posts is just like a snippet from the blog posts and an eye-catching image and put that out on social media. It doesn't have to be, I don't have to think of something brand new for every single social media post I put out there. Same goes for emails. My emails tend to be less of a whole new blog post and more of a, here's what's new on the blog. Here's what I'm promoting this week. Just Again, it's just another way to stay top of mind when you're getting in people's inboxes. So 
my marketing coach always recommends having like a theme of the week or of the month so that you know going in what you're going to write about or talk about in the case of a video or a podcast. So again, you're not reinventing the wheel. You know what topics you're covering. Yeah. You're giving me so many ideas. I just wish we had more time to do all this stuff, but that that's where people like you come in. I mean, like part of your services mm -hmm. on your website, which is avwritingservices.com. Sorry, my eyes said it's not as good as it used to be. I was like staring at the other screen, but I'm like, I can't read that. avwritingservices.com, right? One of your services is writing, right? Like blog writing. Now, I know some folks are like writing, like why would I have someone do writing for me? Talk a little bit about that because it's, I'm sure it's part of the basis of your services. Tons of people do it. Do you recommend only going with someone that's doing some writing services for you as a small business owner? Do you recommend supplementing that with a service like you provide? Like, how does that work out? Yeah, I should have mentioned that actually is that the other thing when you're too busy to write your content is you should hire someone like me to write it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I got started writing blog posts. I do run into that a lot where people wonder why they should hire someone. And I mean, my first client was an attorney, so obviously he has writing skills, but there's a difference between writing skills and blogging skills. And before I took over writing his blog posts for him, he had been writing them himself and they were bad. They were just yep. bad. They, you know, started out pretty strong. I could kind of see where he was going with it, but then he jumped to something completely different in paragraph like three, I think it was. And it took me quite a while to figure out how he got from point A to point B. And I sat there and figured it out because he was paying me to. But if I had been a prospect, I would have said, okay, thanks. I'm going to find what I need somewhere else because this is not helping. Right. So I was able to come in as someone who could understand what he was talking about as a lawyer, but also understand the client perspective of how does this help me? Why do I need you in my life? Put that into a story so that people are actually going to read the blog posts and then take that call to action. And so many people are really strong writers and not strong blog writers because it is a specific skill a sub skill of writing so absolutely get someone who knows what they're what they're doing and like i said i majored in english and psychology and you really need both of those to be effective at content marketing i completely uh relate to that point there i know when when we go to law school we learn how to write with clarity and precision but not so much for engagement so my early writings, um, even my some of my client-facing emails early on in the career were very direct and clear, but they kind of lacked that little bit of art that would engage people or get people get people to want to know more. Um, but you know, in these fields, when we have somebody else, you know, write for us, what's the right way for small business owners to outsource this responsibility, and what's kind of a, a bad use of outsourcing uh, content creation? I think a good way is to make sure that uh, the person you're hiring is familiar with your industry. Also make sure that they can write in your voice because you do want it to sound like you rather than like someone else. That is always one of the first things I do when I work with a client is I spend some time getting to know them and their voice so that I can emulate it when I'm writing their content for them. So that's number one. And I am forgetting, I'm blanking on the, the second part of that question there. Is there a bad use uh, or a bad way to go about outsourcing content creation? I don't know if there's a bad way to go about it. Um, I've definitely seen people who think that it takes more work from them than it needs to. So they, they put off hiring someone like me because they think they need to get all these things in place in order to hire me when really I can do everything from coming up with topics to researching the keywords to putting it up on your website for you. Like my job is to take tasks off of your plate, not 
add them. So definitely, you know, don't micromanage your writer. Uh, don't give them a million edits when it comes back, right? If you, when you hire someone, trust that they know what they're doing, that they're the expert in this particular industry and, and let them do their thing. So I think that is probably the, a couple of the biggest mistakes that I see people making. You know, we've kind of run the gamut a little bit, like between or among writing ourselves and we've hired some writers to write specific articles off of places like Upwork and the results are very mixed. Uh, mm -hmm. You get the content back and you obviously get what you pay for, but we were just trying and seeing what was out there. And then we'd end up, you know, rewriting a lot of that. Um, we're currently working with a, a company. We have a couple partners, but our partner for one of our websites is carrot.com. They, they specialize in real estate and uh, real estate investor websites. And they actually supply a lot of kind of baked in content for anyone to use whenever they want to use it. But they do recommend that you add, you know, your own voice and local elements to some of that content. And it's helpful. Like we don't expect it to be groundbreaking, but we expect it to be kind of like, you know, it's a, it's the rice and potatoes of the meal. It's good stuff. Like you have to eat it sustenance, but like, it's, you know, it's not the original stuff that we're doing, but we're okay with doing it because it indexes really well. We've kind of heard about things like content spinners. Have you heard about that? It's basically these websites that will rewrite content and kind of change the words with synonyms or whatever. And then now it's plagiarized content plagiarized. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I think people have to be careful when they're hiring people uh, that they don't know, you know, if it's offshore or anything, a lot of times you might get this like really crappy spun content mm -hmm. um, that other websites use, you know, versus someone like yourself who is writing original content um, using, uh, you know, using a combination of the information that you know, plus the voice of the client, plus your own unique way to write for blogs and for SEO. One question I have, and I've done a lot of writing, like through high school and college, I feel like I have to unlearn the stuff that we learned, just like Rory unlearned the stuff in from law school. Like, did you find that? I mean, you were a major, like you've majored mm -hmm. in English, right? Like, you know, it's like, it's probably deep embedded in your body that it has to sound this way, but now you kind of have to do it a little differently because of Google. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, and not only Google, but even um, I had an internship working for a magazine one summer when I was in college. Um, and I think that was my first foray into unlearning all of the English paper type stuff that I had to learn prior because no one is going to open up a magazine and read an English paper. That's that's not what they came there for. So uh, that was where I really learned. I mean, I had learned the basics of storytelling um, long before that, but as far as taking into account who the audience is, what they're there for, how can I spin this into a story that they actually want to read? Um, I think that was where my my unlearning began. Um, English side that I had, you know, like you said, had drilled into me for however many years um, and started learning about uh, the, the marketing aspect. I mean, even though the magazine wasn't really marketing, they, it's that same idea. You got to keep people reading. So how are you going to do that? I've adapted my style to, I've talked about the hustle a lot on this podcast, not a lot, a couple of times. I mentioned the hustle and they have a, a site called trends and I subscribed to all that. And the guy that started it does really interesting writing. It's like sentence by sentence, punchy headlines, punchy sentences, like no big paragraphs. Like I could probably put together, see some of the emails they send out and it's legit eight different lines 
of declarative sentences and then a call to action at the end. It, it's everything in my fiber not to do that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. how we learned how to write. But now I write that way, you know, because that's mm-hmm. the eye looks at it as easier sentences to read. Your points come across easier. You're nodding ahead. So I, I guess that means that we're doing the right thing. Like, is that, are those things that you would recommend to some of your clients? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the length, I think you can write super long blog posts because again, Google does love that longer, more in-depth content. But if you break it up into those really short sentences, people are going to scroll through the whole thing without even realizing it because there is so much white space. Whereas if you have all, you know, these really long, dense paragraphs, people look at that and they, they tend to go, oh, I don't have time to read all of that. Um, it can be really intimidating, even to someone like me, who's a reader, who loves reading. I can look at that and go, I don't really have time for this. I'm going to go somewhere else. Whereas, oh, it's just one short paragraph. Oh, that's just one more sentence. And before you know it, you've read the whole article. So yes, absolutely recommend those short sentences, short paragraphs. I do see a lot of blog posts out there that, again, can be really long blog posts, but every paragraph is like one, maybe two sentences. So yes, definitely recommend that. I have a a friend that every so often will text me links to articles from the Harvard Business Review and like, I'll kind of click on it and then be like, oh my God, this is too much stuff to read. Mm -hmm. And I get it's Harvard, right? They want to write these big, you know, extemporaneous, you know, well-researched papers, but you know, man, our attention spans these days have just changed. And it's almost reflective of, of search engines and people reading Mm -hmm. online. Like my brain thinks that way now. Well, and social media, I mean, Twitter dominated the I think it was originally 120 characters and now it's 240, but yeah, it's the same idea where you've got a couple sentences to get people's attention. The early social networks also like Vine, you know, they had the recipe of six second videos and then they kind of went under, but then the other ones that have taken over really emphasize brevity. Uh, So it's not just in the writing, it's in, it's in the video world because you're just a swipe away from the next piece of content these days. Mm Mm-hmm. Before we get to the final questions, Allison, tell us a couple like really actionable things you'd recommend uh, that some folks in uh, professional services, like Rory's mentioned, like maybe real estate or real estate law can do to immediately improve their, their website presence. Come up with a schedule is first and foremost and stick to that schedule for creating content and always, always keep your audience top of mind. Remember that you are writing for your audience. You're not writing for others in your industry. You're not writing for yourself. You are writing for whoever it is that you're serving. Um, Try and remember what their problems are and what they're coming to you for. So what are those questions you hear over and over again at networking events or in meetings with clients or with prospects? Start with those. If you haven't already written blog posts covering those topics, that's always a great place to start. That's some amazing advice. Rory, any, you want the final question here before we get to yeah. our final questions? Be better about bringing this podcast back to kind of legal topics and everything. And kind of one thing that sticks out in my head in certain professional fields like law and real estate is that we are bound by kind of elaborate codes of ethics in our advertising. You know, we cannot mislead in our advertising. We cannot promote an expertise that we don't have. Um, and we have to be competent in the advice that we give. So mm-hmm. all these things kind of our constraints on what we write, we use in our advertising. As a content writer for these industries, how are you mindful or how do you adapt or how do you let your clients adapt the ethical rules that are imposed on them? Yeah, that is definitely something I always have to keep in mind writing for these industries. Um, And it, it does always come down to, again, what what services are you providing that you can provide tips on? Everything you should be 
providing from a marketing standpoint should relate to the expertise that you do have just because you know again if you're going to promote something you don't offer why would you promote that thing right so have those tips ready so that you are providing actionable tips people can use in their day-to-day lives even before they reach out to you so that they they see that expertise and they understand the value that you have to offer which is going to make them more likely to reach out to you when they do need your services all right. Well, so many great tidbits from this episode. I mean, we could probably go on for 17 hours, but you know, let's. I know <laughs> I could. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Well, after we get to the final questions, you'll make sure that you let everyone know where they could find you so they could hire you for all this, you know, for consultation and great writing services and SEO services that you provide and speaking as well. Um, so, first question that we have for you if you could, speak of speaking, if you can get on stage for a half hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what might that be? Other than blogging and SEO, because I could yeah. absolutely talk about blogging and SEO forever. Yes. Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is actually Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is probably my favorite television show of all time. And I've lost count of how many times I've watched that. So if you want me to get up and talk about Buffy, I could absolutely do that for half an hour. The movie or the, the show? And have there been two shows? The TV show. I think I've only seen the movie once, maybe twice, but the TV show I've seen a, a bunch of times all the way through. I almost feel like we got that answer from somebody else once before, something similar to that. So there's definitely a Buffy cult out there. Is there like a Buffy convention? Do they do things like that? Or is it more of like part of Comic-Con? You know, that's a good question. It is probably part of Comic-Con. I do know that there are conventions that a lot of the actors who were on Buffy, like that's how they make their living now is going to those events and signing pictures and, and taking pictures with fans. So yeah, they're definitely get togethers and, multiple Facebook groups and and fan groups online centered around Buffy. So yes, there is a thriving culture around Buffy. That's awesome. You know what? That actually ties back to content. Like they wrote, they did all this content long ago, right? Like the the show came out, when did it come out? Like 2000 or so? Uh, Actually the first season aired in or started in 1997. Wow. like March of 1997, I want to say. Yeah, so, so 25 years yeah. ago at this recording. 25 years ago. And it's still popular now. I mean, people are still finding it. Like think about those blog posts that you wrote, you know, a year or two ago that still draw in lots of content, um, you know, recycle it, like republish it, like, you know, update it, as you mentioned, take it down and publish it again. Like there's great ways to reuse your old content. That's kind of what Buffy's doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Second question that we have for you. Tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you work today. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, majoring in English and psychology turned out to be a real boom for the being a content marketer, even though, like I said, I had no idea what content marketing was, completely fell into it. But it has turned out to be very beneficial to understand not only the writing aspect and how to create a story around whatever topic it is I'm covering, but also understand what motivates people, what's going to get them to that next step in the buyer journey. So yeah, that um, right off the bat, I just kind of lucked into having the perfect major for this. Now, much of our schooling, Rory's and mine, mine more so than his, involved writing that didn't involve thinking for the internet. And, and you said you graduated in 2009, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, the bad economy that we've talked about many times in this podcast where people have caused pivots in their lives and changed you know, directions. What do you think schools are doing these days, you know, with all the writing that you're doing now, the type of writing you're doing? Like, are, is this being taught? Do you think it should be taught more? In my head, it's not being taught. But then again, I, mm-hmm. I honestly have no idea. Yeah, I don't really know either. Um, I definitely think it should be taught. 
Um, certainly the writing aspect should be taught. The question around that is how long does that last? Um, just because we know the internet is constantly changing and evolving. And I'm afraid that like by the time you get your curriculum up and running for that, uh, it's changed. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's a big reason that schools don't really teach SEO because first of all, you know, how can we really know what's going on when Google won't tell us, but also because again, as, as soon as you write something or, or get that course out there, the rules change. Right. Here's 83 factors that this, you know, update probably values. We won't tell you the percentage. You can probably guess them over time. Like, good luck. Our final question, tell us something besides Buffy that you're watching, listening to, or reading these days. What am I reading these days? Because I am rewatching Buffy. So that was the first <laughs> thing that came to mind. And the book I'm reading is actually um, an SEO book uh, all about link building. I'm going to see if I can find... While you're finding that, I could actually talk about link building a little bit and you can correct me when I misspeak, but I've always said link building is like votes, right? Like, so mm -hmm. if you can get high domain authority websites to link to your website organically, um, that's a good thing. If the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, if any of the big publications, you know, CNBC, whatever, you know, realtor.com can link to your website to a post that you wrote because it has such great content, Google's going to see that and they're going to see mm -hmm. that as a big vote. So you might know a little bit more about link building than I do. I've always heard it's more quality links than quantity of links. That's where I was going with it. Because yes, I have heard it compared to votes. And I think that is one way to think about it. But when we think about votes, we think about them all being equal um, and they're not. Some are, are worth more than others. So I tend to compare it to hanging out with the cool kids in high school. You know, if you're hanging out with the cool kids, it is assumed that you are also cool. And Google works that same way. If you are getting links from high quality uh, websites, then it is assumed that your website is also high quality. Yeah. And be careful purchasing a thousand backlinks on Fiverr. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, no, that's a bad idea. It's it's hard to undo that kind of stuff because Google's going to see your website as having not too many links and then suddenly they're going to see a thousand really bad links coming into your website. And that's probably going to adversely affect your search position in many things. Mm -hmm. How did I do with that? Was that good, Allison? Yeah, no, that was great. Yes, there, I know a little SEO. Interesting that you're reading an SEO book. The title of it doesn't really matter, but it shows that you're in, you're always learning more about the space. There are some great SEO books that are out there. I would recommend if you want a foundation of an SEO book, like you know, find one that maybe has had a couple different publishings and is not mm -hmm. five or ten years old because things are very different from what they are back then. Try to find something that's published recently. But if it is an older book, just make sure it's been updated over time. Because I think if you read a book from even 2015, it's not going to give you the most relevant info. They'll still probably talk about like MySpace being a relevant social network and getting links into it. And, you know, we know how that turned out. Yeah, exactly. So Allison, can you tell our listeners where people can get a hold of you when they want to reach out and hire you? Yeah, so my website is AV, as in my initials, Allison Verhalen. It is avwritingservices.com. You can check out my blog and, and see all the services that I provide on there. Awesome. Well, we will link that in the show notes. Uh, and the transcript of this will become uh, blog content and it will be published alongside our podcast. And we will take some great snippets from this for our social media as well, because that's what you do. You repurpose content, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Rory, where can people find you? 
easy enough to find. You can look at me, find me at my real estate brokerage, Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletown.com, or my law practice, Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com. Awesome. And if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to be on the podcast or you have any questions about us, you can reach me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com as well. So, Allison, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Like, we love talking marketing, and this could go on forever. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank, fun. thank you. And thank you for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a review or a star rating. Hopefully, it's five. We read all the comments. If you want to comment on the YouTube or you want to email us directly, we're happy to take a look at those as well. We really appreciate you listening to the Real Estate Law Podcast. And on behalf of Allison and Rory, thank you. I'm Jason, and we'll see you later. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.